I made a promise to you guys and to myself that I would take women's health damn seriously. Guys, we've spent way too long ignoring our bodies, ignoring our health, ignoring our hormones, and I have committed to helping us find people and doctors and experts to bring on to help us overcome all the issues that we're having so that we can love our lives, feel good about ourselves and go after our dreams and have the energy to do so and actually love our lives while we do it. And so today, guys, I bring you Dr. Gabrielle Lyon. If you don't know who she is, she is one of the biggest and strongest voices in this space who's promoting a muscle-centric approach to better health and saying that that is absolutely the freaking key to fearless aging. Now, what does that actually mean? Today, we discuss why you have to stop freaking focusing on fat loss and all the shit diets that are out there that is actually making you lose muscle, not build muscle. She also just calls BS on the fact that health exists at any size. But guys, she very much recognizes and says there's a massive difference between your weight and self-love and they are not the same thing. You can love yourself and at the same time recognize destructive behaviors. But she helps us figure out what those behaviors are and how on earth we can overcome them. This has nothing to do with making anyone feel badly about their weight. But we've got to acknowledge that 73% of Americans are overweight and they crash dieting. And it's destroying any chance that any of us women have to be strong and freaking healthy and badass. So today, without further ado, guys, I want to dive in with my girl, the Dr. Gabrielle Line, on how on earth we can separate self-love and our weight and how on earth we can start to build strong, healthy relationships with our body so we can be freaking badasses. Okay. Now guys, if this episode does bring you value, please, please do share this, subscribe and leave a review. That is the one thing that I do ask that will really help grow this podcast. So if this brings you value, please, please do leave a review and let your homies know about Women of Impact. All right, now let's dive in with me and Dr. Gabrielle Lyon on women's health. 73% of adults, 73% are either overweight or obese. Okay. I just got to get my head wrapped around that number. Holy smokes. 73%. Now, why do I think we have this? I think that we've been looking at the wrong tactics and looking at the wrong issues. I believe that at the very core of these metabolic issues is muscle. And I'm going to tell you a story. So the place in which all of this became clear to me was during my fellowship. I did a fellowship in geriatrics and nutritional sciences at Washington University. And throughout my clinical career, I've seen thousands of patients. I've been practicing medicine since 2006. And at the time, I was doing obesity research. I was doing obesity medicine research and looking at brain function and body composition. Now, out of all of the patients that I've seen, there was one that really stood out. And her name was Betsy. Betsy, she had big brown eyes, huge smile, was so funny, in her mid-50s, mother of three. Always struggled with the same 20 pounds. <laughs> same 20 pounds, and that's like everybody else we know. Um, and I imaged Betsy's brain. And Betsy's brain looked like the beginning of an Alzheimer's brain. At 50, how old did you say? 50. And 
I had this aha moment. It reminded me of all the patients that I was seeing on the weekends at the nursing home rounds. Mm -hmm. So I, I was working in dementia units and, and I knew that she was going to be there because we had been so fixated. The medical community had been so fixated on telling her, cut back calories, focus on fat, the pathology of fat, rather than building and maintaining her muscle. Dude, this is so fast. I really, I want everyone at home really to lean in right now because I don't care if you're 20 or if you're 60. We women do not pay attention to our health enough, take it how, how seriously it really can like be. And then also because of the messaging, we sometimes are so damn lost that we think we're doing the right thing. So poor Betsy, I bet you Betsy's just like her entire life, she's been struggling, like you said, to lose this 20 pounds. And now as the result of trying to lose that 20 pounds, she's been steered into potentially getting early on Alzheimer's because she hasn't been focused on the right thing. Is that how, what you're saying? I believe that that's true. Damn. She traded one problem for another. Mm. Focused on this obsessive weight loss not taking into account the quality of weight loss, mm -hmm. focus obsessively on this, you know, cutting calories, the, the whole fat, reducing your fat. Through a series of yo-yo dieting, she destroyed her muscle. And as a result, muscle is this metabolic unit. It is responsible for carbohydrate use, for fat burning. It's, you know, what is our metabolic thing? She destroyed it over time. And when we think about some of the things that you mentioned, and especially Alzheimer's, there are com there's a component to Alzheimer's that is a metabolic disease. And this is a real problem and a real problem for women. You know, the thing that really struck me about Betsy is that she always put other people first. Mm. It was never about taking care of her health, spending the time of doing the things that she needed to do. Uh, so she would do these cycles of crash dieting. And I, I think that we all have a Betsy in our life. Okay. Dude, this is fascinating. So now taking what should Betsy, should, what should have Betsy yeah. done instead of trying to lose this weight? Um, because again, this is where I think so many of us get stuck, where you've got the Betsy's right now, probably listen to this podcast as they're freaking running on the treadmill, thinking that if they lose the weight, they're going to be healthier. And everything you've say and have already said is that it's complete opposite. Yeah. I mean, the idea of weight loss is a good one, right? The idea of maintaining a certain weight could be potentially very beneficial, but it has to be the quality of weight loss. So for everyone out there that's thinking, you know, I am so confused because we've essentially weaponized food, right? In society, it's, are you vegan? Are you carnivore? Are you whatever? We literally have weaponized food. We can all agree yes, that, uh, I mean, that this is what's happening. What that leaves is a confused consumer. So that leaves a confused Betsy, because there's so much information that it's, it's almost as if it's a distraction. So initially people are like, okay, well, you know, do cardiovascular activity, which of course is beneficial, cut back calories. We've all heard that it's completely destroyed us. 50 years later, we're, we're still struggling with the same issues of obesity and metabolic dysregulation, which have exponentially gotten worse. Right. right? Mm -hmm. And what I wish that Betsy had done, and I didn't give her this advice. So I failed her. I failed her, the medical community has failed her, and I would say that the medical community is still failing people. As what she should have done is, we should have focused on the health of her muscle. 
we should have switched from a disempowering model, which is this fat phobic, to an empowering model, which is muscle centric. What can she do to maintain her metabolism, to maintain her health, and really be able to take control? And she should have been resistance training. Had she done resistance training, it could have potentially lowered her blood sugar, addressed her hypertension, prevented cardiovascular disease. Uh, this is fascinating. I need to know why, because yeah. here's the thing. I so freaking love knowledge. I love, like, how can I get better? How can I get stronger? How do I freaking stay healthy and alive for till I'm 100? People laugh, but it's like, hang on a minute. Do you want your kids to have to go to your funeral at the age of 60? Like, ask yourself that question. Do you want, at the age of 25, if a 20-year-old is listening, at the age of 25, do you want to have problems getting pregnant because maybe you've screwed up your hormones so much because you've been focused on trying to lose fat, you're wrecking your freaking body, and now when you're trying to get pregnant because you found the love of your life, you're unable to actually conceive because of the damage you've already done. So this is so damn important to understand, to have the knowledge, but then understanding the why, that anytime someone then tries to pretend this knowledge doesn't exist, to go back to the why and the understanding, I always help brings me back to this is why I'm doing it. Instead yeah. of like, well, this is too freaking hard. Why the hell am I bothering, right? Because it's not easy going to the gym consistently and li lifting weights. It's not easy to choose the chicken over the chocolate cake. And so I really want to hammer home the, the reasons why um, and how that then trickles into the actual impact. So let's go back to exactly what you just said. Um, PCOS, um, hypertension, cardiovascular, cardiovascular disease, Alzheimer's disease. Okay, all explain these, to yeah, me these metabolic diseases. how me going to the gym yeah. and lifting weights or squats is going to help me with that exact thing. Well, first of all, what if I told you that the way in which we are thinking about things are wrong? What if I told you I don't actually believe we have an obesity epidemic? I would think you're crazy. You and would. I would say, just look around. Uh -huh. And what if I told you that I don't think that we have an obesity epidemic, but what we really have is a midlife muscle crisis? <laughs> Go on. <laughs> the idea that we have an obesity epidemic, an epidemic to me is something that happens quickly and kills people. So it happens immediately and it is lethal. I believe that obesity, in my opinion, is a symptom. Mm -hmm. of unhealthy muscle. It's not the focal point of the problem. Repeat that. That was so strong. Obesity is a symptom, in my opinion, of unhealthy muscle. It is a symptom. It is not the root cause. We have spent 50 years trying to fix the obesity mm -hmm. problem, which is a symptom of unhealthy muscle. Wow. If we care about PCOS, hypertension, cardiovascular disease, Alzheimer's, it would make sense to me that we treat the root cause. Mm -hmm. The root cause is affected in your 20s. There's evidence to support that unhealthy muscle, a sedentary 18-year-old can have unhealthy muscle and these issues begin decades earlier. Mm -hmm. It makes complete sense. It and does. anyone that may be young now that's dismissing it, just go ask someone older than you if that's true or not. Because the second you ask anyone older, they will say, I eat the same thing and yet I keep putting on weight. 
and I haven't changed anything. Anything. And we know that over time with inactivity and not maintaining a nutrition plan that supports healthy muscle, there is somewhat of an atrophy that happens. So now the first step is switching the paradigm of thinking from obesity, from fat-focused to muscle-centric. Here's how I think about muscle from a five-year-old perspective. Muscle is really important for movement, mobility, athletic performance. We can all agree that's the obvious. Mm -hmm. The not-so-obvious component to health longevity as it relates to muscle is muscle is a few things. Number one, it's your metabolic sink. Think about muscle as this sink or this suitcase that is the site for carbohydrate use, dietary carbohydrate use for fat burning. When this sink gets clogged from a lifetime of overeating or under-exercising, the metabolic sink gets clogged up. And eventually, your muscle looks like a marbled steak rather than a filet, mm-hmm. right? And this is the damage that begins in skeletal muscle over time. Subsequently, you know, obviously it's not as linear. I am just working on, I'm really simplifying it, but these substrates that then back up So into muscle, you get unhealthy muscle, and eventually you begin to put on body fat. You have uh, glucose dysregulation, elevated blood sugar. We've all heard about that. Elevated insulin levels. These are not primary issues of obesity. First, it's primary issues of muscle. Muscle and liver, these are the primary sites, but 40% of our body is muscle. There's one thing I want to address that you said before we move on that I want to make sure, like, this. it's a little controversial, but I've really been thinking about this. I don't... I don't want any woman to shame their body, to um, not feel good when they look in the mirror, to not be proud of who they are. And at the same time, I worry that people talk about obesity and weight only from a self-esteem standpoint Mm. and not from the actual health of reality standpoint. And so when you said just now um, that we can all agree that, um, oh God, I can't remember how you phrased it, but that um, losing weight is optimal. That's a little controversial. And so I was actually like, can we please talk about this in like a non-emotional, like I don't want to trigger anyone. That's very important to me. I grew up with health issues. My mom grew up with health issues. But also it's important to say that if we just, if we just only lean into love your body no matter what it is, I worry that people are going to make themselves more unhealthy because they're not actually acknowledging it's not about the fucking looks. It is about the potential that you could have a heart attack early. It's the fact that maybe you can't have children because you're messing with your hormones. These are all very real. And it's becoming very um, uh, polarizing. polarizing. I agree with you. From the messaging on love your body and then you should lose weight. And I'm just like, what's going to help women live longer Mm -hmm. and them loving their lives? And so I'm really trying not to trigger people. As you can see, I'm really being careful with how I talk about it. But it's important to talk about because if we just ignore it, then we're going to be missing a bunch of people right now who want to love themselves, who want to love their body. And I don't want them to dismiss what you're saying. And then in 30 years, they have early Alzheimer's or they have a heart attack because they haven't paid attention to the muscle. Yeah. What you're saying is very important. And I'm also going to try to tread cautiously to not be grossly offensive. So here we go. What I'm hearing you say is that there's a movement that it's love your body no matter what. Don't diet because dieting is um, damaging to the psyche or X, Y, and Z. Now, 
some individuals with eating disorders, there, there is certainly a group of individuals, a group of women or men, whatever, um, we can appreciate that dieting for them might not be the right way. Okay, so we... People with like eating issues, things like yes, that. Right. So if you're going to trigger an anorexia, um, like a, a bout of anorexia or whatever, yeah, those yeah. kinds of things, that is a challenge. However, the other thing is that this idea of loving your body no matter what to love yourself is critical. You cannot dismiss that loving yourself would include healthy responsibility of taking care of your body. And that's critical. There's a love your body at any size, all of this stuff. You can love yourself, but truly loving oneself is also taking care of yourself, right? Um, And I think that we need to really focus on that dichotomy of of the wording, because that's kind of what I think that you're getting at, is that there's this this talk about you shouldn't diet, you should eat whatever you want because that's freedom. That's not freedom. That's completely shackling. And there are certain things that are risks with higher levels of body fat. Mm. But that's not to say someone is morally wrong. That's not to say someone is personally bad. It's not to say any of those things. If we are talking about it from a non-emotional health standpoint, then we have to address what the evidence would suggest to be true. That excess body fat uh, has the potential to have other factors that ride along with it, like elevated levels of insulin, like the potential development of type 2 diabetes. There's all these things that can happen. And that's, thank you, that was really um, nicely said, because this is a very tricky discussion to have, um, for me at least, because I do have eating issues, because I did grow up with a mum who had mm. eating issues. So I'm so aware of the trigger. And yet at the same time, I pray that people listen to this and really hear what you're saying, just from the health standpoint. Because if, again, if what you were saying is true, that Alzheimer's is impacted by how you handle... The health of skeletal health, muscle, yeah. yeah. And everything else that we've done, I've had massive gut issues, right? Even the gut issue thing of like, if you just think you can eat whatever you like and it's not going to have an impact, then um, I'd like to give you the knowledge. And that's where I go. Like, if after this, you're like, okay, I've heard everything. I actually understand it. I get it. But you know what? That isn't the life I want. Fucking A. Like, I literally have zero moral judgment on anyone. Mm -hmm. If you just want to, you know, eat ding-dongs and sit on a sofa because that's the life you want, as long as you know that you're potentially shortening in your life, do it. I, and I'm, quality of life. Right, yeah. But yeah. let's actually be honest about the quality of life that it's leading to. Yeah, and the unintended consequences of that are are devastating. Mm-hmm. You know, um, part of my work was in obesity medicine. That was my research. Mm-hmm. And the other part was in geriatrics. And that is running, you know, part of a fellow's job is to run a brain clinic you also have nursing home rounds on the weekends. You also work in pretty significant units with dementia. The unintended consequences of the current narrative that health at any size is going to be devastating for people. Mm-hmm. It's okay to feel good about who you are as a human at any size, and in fact, you should. But also saying health at any size is a real thing. I'm not sure where that came from because health and 
uh, personal worth, right? Those are different things. Mm. But to say that I'm looking at elevated blood sugar and, and you're, and, and there's this health at any size is a huge mistake because the older we get, the less window we have to make adjustments and to become better. That, that wave of youth will close. It is true that it's never too late to start training to start increasing dietary protein. It's never too late, too late to do those things. However, I will tell you that it is much more difficult to reverse and really impact brain health from a lifetime of not addressing body fat, of yo-yo dieting and destroying muscle. And my fear is that people become like Betsy. Mm. You have to address the elephant in the room. If you own your own business, when an employee leaves your company, whether on good terms or bad, it can feel, I hate to say it, but it actually can feel personal, like you and you alone are the one to blame. And it actually may even trigger you to lock down your business, not open yourself up and not actually risk trying anyone else. Like you actually would your heart after a bad breakup and avoid looking for that new partner altogether. Well, let's face it, sometimes we can do that with hires as well. And trust me, guys, I've been there. I get the thought of bringing in a new stranger into your business actually fills your heart with more anxiety than it does love and joy. But when you post your jobs on LinkedIn, you can actually feel the confidence that you will find the right person for the right job fast because LinkedIn isn't actually just another job board. LinkedIn has a vast network of more than a billion billion with a B professionals, which makes it the best place to hire because guys, it gives you access to professionals that you actually can't find anywhere else. And so LinkedIn does all that while making the process easy and intuitive, which then makes hiring with confidence easy when you have that many quality candidates. And it's so easy, in fact, that 86% of small businesses get qualified candidates within 24 hours. So post your jobs for free at linkedin.com slash Lisa. That's linkedin.com slash Lisa to post your job for utterly free. And of course, terms and conditions always apply. As an entrepreneur, one of the biggest challenges you will face is the negative voice in your head. You know who I'm talking about? That maybe not so small part of you that loudly doubts your abilities to actually pull the things off and make a living from your passion project. But you've got to overcome that negative voice in your head, homie, because I'm telling you, you can do it especially if you use Shopify. Now, Shopify is an all-in-one global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From launching your business to hitting a million dollars, Shopify has got you completely covered. And with all the built-in Magic AI award-winning customer service and the internet's best converting checkout, you have everything you need to shut down the voice of doubt and make all your amazing business dreams a reality. That's exactly why, guys, I love Shopify. So if you want to start growing your business with more customers and sales, shut that negative voice down and prove her wrong that you can do it, Shopify is here for you. So go and sign up for just $1 a month with your trial period at shopify.com slash Lisa, all lowercase. Again, guys, you can go to shopify.com slash Lisa right now to grow your business no matter where you are and what stage it's in. That's shopify.com slash Lisa. 
Wow. Okay. So tell me about the yo-yo dieting then. What is that doing to your muscle composition? Because you've laid out why the muscle composition is very important. Um, what does the yo-yo dieting do to that? And then I'd love to talk about how we as women really do. You said that, you know, obviously it's never too late, which is the best news ever. Um, but let's actually almost go mm -hmm. through the generations on if you're 20, you can do this because I really want to supply people with actionable steps Absolutely. that they can take so that in all honesty, my North Star is that people raise their hand in 10, 20 years and they say, hey, this episode of Women of Impact with Gabrielle Line actually saved my life. Like, not jokingly, I actually want people it, it to can. do that. It can. Yeah. What we're talking about here today is some of the most underappreciated content and information. Mm -hmm. And by maintaining and focusing on the health of skeletal muscle will literally change the trajectory of people's life and aging. Generations to come, mothers, daughters, mm. sisters, family members. Wow. It is the most critical piece. Skeletal muscle is the pinnacle of health. It is a full organ system that is the pinnacle of health. Everything that we are doing, the way in which we live is destroying it. From immobility, from being on our phones, from sitting, from doing all the things that are creating a sedentary environment, then with this push of narrative to restrict dietary protein for longevity, it is going to be devastating. Devastating in the short term and devastating in the long term. So yo-yo dieting, one of the most dangerous things about yo-yo dieting, and just to define yo-yo dieting mm -hmm. for people, it's going through cycles of crash dieting to meet that immediate need for spring break, you know, for our 20-year-olds who are going to go back to college or, or whatever is happening. And it's typically a starvation type of diet. It's how are we going to do a crash diet for a short period of time? That can destroy muscle. You're restricting calories. You're doing a ton of cardio. You're not optimizing for protein. And when you're young, the good news is, is that muscle is more pliable, potentially is easier to maintain and build. Typically, people create habits of yo-yo dieting. I'm going on this diet mm -hmm. for the holidays mm -hmm. or this diet. Or weddings or... coming up. Exactly. Or... Over a period of time, that destroys skeletal muscle. And as we age, it becomes much more difficult to maintain and put that back because, again, we get busy or there's periods of time where an individual will go into what's called a catabolic crisis. For example, let's say someone you love um, got pneumonia and was on bed rest for a week. It's not that we age like this. It's not a linear thing. Mm. It's like we're aging and then we do something and then we age and then we do something. And so it's not this slope. It is a very sharp, they're very sharp periods of decline. One of the reasons why your muscle um, diminishes over time is it utilizes those amino acids. So muscle is made up of amino acids for the most part, and your body requires that. It requires amino acids. It, it can use the amino acids from muscle to also generate blood glucose. It, it does a lot of things. Mm. And also tissue turnover, our gut, our hair, our nails, our organ systems all require protein. Skeletal muscle is essentially your reservoir, your protein reservoir. Mm -hmm. Two ways to maintain that are proper exercise and proper protein. Yo-yo dieting typically eliminates both of those things. Mm -hmm. And then exactly what you said, then when you go to then and consume more calories, you've now destroyed this metabolic sink.
mm-hmm. and or suitcase. You can think of it as a meta as a metabolic suitcase. Now your suitcase, your large suitcase, has gone from a large suitcase to a carry-on size. Mm-hmm. And you have nowhere to put the extra carbohydrates or the fat or any of the things that you're eating. And then you go back to maybe even eating normal or eating more. But let's just even say eating yep. norm, quote unquote normal. Your body doesn't have the same composition exactly. to then be able to function like it did before you went on the yo-yo diet. There you go. And you put on more fat. That's so clear. I really want people to hear that because once I started to understand, I was like, oh, now that becomes almost real consequence because I don't know about you if you found clients like this, but so many people do the yo-yo done. They're like, well, I'll just fix it when I get back on. Like, I'll just, you know, and so you think you can get back to square one after you've done this crazy diet or after you've stopped working out. But it's not just that you're going back to square one. You're almost going to the negative. You're going below baseline. Below baseline. Thank you, perfectly. And that becomes a problem over a lifetime. Mm -hmm. These are lifetime habits. I've seen a lot of damaged metabolisms where people have restricted so much that they're going on 800 calories a day. Anything above that, they start to put on body fat. Mm -hmm. And this becomes a major problem. So yo-yo dieting is a really bad uh, habit and should definitely be eliminated because you have to protect muscle. And then I assume that when you're not protecting the muscle, then all of your other organs and things like that aren't be able to necessarily function 100%. This is the, so. What you're saying is is actually very interesting, and I'm going to come at it from a different approach. Yeah. Basically, when you feed for muscle, when you eat protein and really prioritize skeletal muscle, by prioritizing skeletal muscle, by really designing a diet that supports skeletal muscle, all those other things fall into place. Mm. Those amino acid needs, you know, all the other organ systems, mm. by focusing on muscle you will meet the needs for everything. Amazing. And that is a very practical way to think about it. The way in which someone at home would do that would be prioritizing dietary protein for the needs of muscle. And again, to just give them something practical, I typically recommend one gram per pound ideal body weight. People can scale up or down of protein per ideal body weight. And, you know, Thinking about the first meal of the day, which we can talk about. Again, this is very practical yeah, no, for the 20-year-old to the your mom to be able to hear this episode and say, okay, what do I need to do? And I would tell them that that first meal of the day, after they're coming out of an overnight fast, whenever that is, is the most important. And then the next most important meal is before they go into that overnight fast for dinner. Now I'm going to take it one step further. How are we going to protect muscle? We are going to target really between 30, at the minimum, 30 grams of protein, which would be, um, you know, five ounces of some kind of protein. Like a chicken breast. A chicken breast, bug. five ounces. So that's like 35 grams. Mm. And maybe they just want to do a whey protein shake or, or uh, whatever kind of protein that they choose. Really a minimum of 30 upwards to 55 grams at that first meal. Mm-hmm. And then have that same 30 to 55 grams at that last meal. This is a phenomenal, easy strategy that everybody can do Mm -hmm. to protect muscle. And when you meet the needs of muscle, you'll now support the body in, you know, um, other ways with blood pressure and, you know, because these amino, we really eat for amino acids. 
not to get too deep into the weeds. No, but I... But we eat for amino acids. And we typically talk about protein as just one thing, but protein is made up of 20 different amino acids. Wow. And so we're eating for those amino acids. And when we think about muscle health, we're really eating for those essential amino acids. Just to take it one step further, again, not to go into the weeds, but the branch chain amino acids. What is that then? Which is simply a... Uh, structure of amino acid. And it's what we think about when we think about high quality proteins mm -hmm. and really meeting those needs to protect muscle is 30 to 55 grams of high quality protein at that first meal and that last meal of the day. Okay. I love the simplicity of just add, put these proteins in your start and your end. Amazing. Love They'll that. They'll protect their tissue that way. And I want to make sure people really do hear though, that you say the good quality but but thinking through what that um what what is that type of source right yeah. so for instance i heard when i was younger okay eat a lot of protein protein's really good for you so like great so i started going to subway and i was ordering their chicken every day and then someone's like you know the subway chicken has like 13 ingredients in it and i'm like what you mean the, the that sandwich like they're like no no the actual chicken and i was like how can a chicken have 13 it's not fried it's not even in nugget form it's like in a chicken yeah. form so i went and looked it up it actually does i don't know if it's now but this was like 10 years really? ago it okay. had chicken flavoring in their chicken breast that's gross and so i was like that's why I just had to say it, like, because it's so important that people are also looking into the types of sources that they're having. So not to even just take what you're saying as a blanket statement of people going out and eat, you know, orange chicken for breakfast every day because you've just said protein. Like the source of it matters. Hopefully people understand how to look through the source. If you're not sure, just look it up. Mm -hmm. Google has all the information. Um, and then why the beginning of the day and the end of the day? Great then? question. And I do want to circle back to what high quality protein is mm, yeah, because you, you really are making a good point. The first meal of the day, again, we're thinking about how do we protect muscle? Muscle is very dynamic. It's going through, and really our body is continuously going through this build up and breakdown phase. Mm. It is not a static organ system, which skeletal muscle is an organ system isn't just existing. It's it's constantly, there's turnover that's happening all the time uh, and really all cells in the body. And the first meal of the day is you're coming out of an overnight fast. The muscle is primed. Muscle is a nutrient sensor. It senses the quality of the diet by protein, by these amino acids. Coming out of an overnight fast, your body is primed to have a robust response. And in fact, most of all the studies are done at breakfast. Oh, interesting. Mm -hmm. Because there's acknowledgement within the scientific community that it is, well, number one, it's easy to measure the processes that happen at that first meal of the day. Mm. And we see the biggest response in muscle typically at that first meal of the day. Uh, you know, there's multiple mechanisms that play a role. But that first meal of the day is critical. Does it matter if you're a man or a woman? It doesn't. Interesting. It doesn't. And it's also not dependent on hormones either. Oh. Meaning if you're young, you'll have a much more robust response. But if you are outside of puberty, male, female, premenopause, postmenopause, andropause, name your pause, <laughs> it doesn't really matter. Of course. Yes. It, wow. is, it is not dependent on male or female. Interesting. So how on earth did we get, and I don't want to derail this conversation, but it's super important for us to like dig deeper in certain things and like, 
I was just saying that, I'm like, so in what freaking universe did it actually make sense that toast and Fruit Loops became the bloody breakfast to go to? The breakfast of champions came with the industrial uh, revolution. Yeah. It came or when we, you know, it came with processed foods. And in fact, they, these big companies like Kellogg, I was looking up the data. I think that uh, Kellogg spent $79 million on advertising. This is who is controlling our information versus a commodity like egg or beef or dairy. They might spend $8 million. We have to acknowledge that there's biases. Mm-hmm. You said really what you were saying is where did we hear about Fruit Loops and toast or fruit for breakfast? That is really um, suboptimal. If you want to do that, have that in the middle of the day. Okay. As long as you're stimulating your muscle with that first meal and that last meal, I'm okay with your having whatever it is that you want in the middle of the Mm -hmm. day. Because again, why are we eating? We are eating in this conversation to maintain the health of skeletal muscle. Mm -hmm. When we think about- Can we pause that for a sec? Oh God, that's so strong. Why are you eating? Why are you eating? Like literally, that should just be the question that everyone needs to start What is the metabolic- reason to why you are eating but not even the mental body reason i just like one of the what is the reason you're eating because if the answer is to feel better that almost indicates they're not going to probably go for protein if you're eating because i actually want to live longer i want to be there for my husband i want to be there for the kids that is a beautiful way almost to orient people to now go and this is why you need to listen to gabrielle lyon because just asking that question girl oh my god that hit me so strong Mm. You know, and it's it's also very interesting. We've weaponized food. We are very divisive mm-hmm. right now. And, you know, I'm talking about high-quality protein. High-quality protein is animal-based proteins. This is lean red meats, beef, chicken, fish, eggs, dairy. This is what I believe to be critical, thinking about food as a food matrix Rather than could you try to get all your protein from plants? You could. However, you are now talking about consuming more carbohydrates, right? Mm. So for six cups of quinoa would equal one small chicken breast. Mm. You could get it through tofu or however you want to do it. But I, I think that we have to ask ourselves, why are we doing this? These whole foods that we've been eating for centuries now are coming under attack versus processed foods, processed fake meats, processed other things. And I'm going to take it one step further is that if we are arguing with each other, that creates a smokescreen for the reality and the concepts of what's really happening. There was this whole push to have Meatless Monday, Mm. right? Because we wanted to do whatever it was. And that goes to the that schools. That was what, but that was to like to help with the environment, okay. correct? I believe. Yeah, yeah. I believe. And this was affecting children, my children. If we all had a meatless Monday, it would affect greenhouse gas by something like 0.3%. For someone to mitigate the effects of a transatlantic flight, you would need to go vegan for two years. Whoa. If 330 million Americans went vegan, the impact on greenhouse gas would be something like 2.3%. That is negligible impact on the environment. So what I'm saying is 
the space has created a divisiveness amongst providers, amongst people, and created confused consumers as well as providers that is serving as a smokescreen to distract people from being able to take care of their health. And that's very important to understand. And I just want to lay that out there because I'm talking about eating high quality protein. Mm. And the next thing, and, I, and I'm saying it's so imperative to do this. Why? Because we need to think about food as a food matrix. You know, we are eating whole foods, like a whole chicken breast, a whole egg. These are whole foods versus some kind of processed food. Mm -hmm. Okay. Number one. They also have things like B12, choline, zinc, iron, selenium, things that are really important for health and wellness. Mm -hmm. And I, I am mentioning this because the next question may be, well, I was told that red meat is bad for the planet, or I was told that I should go plant-based because plant-based is better for my health mm -hmm. or better for the environment. And I'm simply stating that perhaps that's not true. Perhaps we need a better diet that is inclusive of both and that the noise around the environment, which by the way, um, greenhouse gas, those types of things in the U.S. is 80% from transportation, electricity, and industry. Mm. But the conversation focuses on the minuscule of diet. Mm. Point being, it potentially seems as if it's a massive smokescreen. And we spoke about this in the last episode about like the morality issue and things like that. People feel like it's cool. So it's mm. like this, there's a lot of reasons why people don't. And I actually love addressing that of what you just said, because it's just given people the data and the stats to say, hey, look, yeah. if you believe it and this is why you're doing it, these are just the facts. So now, again, I'm going to go back to give us the facts. What's the actual truth? And now people can make that decision. And so even with what you're saying, if I was vegan and I was doing it for the environment, because I understand that that's important to people, and I heard that stat and I've heard everything you've just said, I then would, real honestly, I would sit down and go, well, shit. What's more important to me, me allowing, again, me doing the two years of vegan and not flying in, you know, across the world. Or take um, one less flight. Or How take one this? less if flight, yeah. Eat high quality protein, protect your muscle. I mean, because when you think about it, let's take your mom. She's probably not eating more food. She's probably eating less. So yes, in fact, for people listening, I told you that my mom's lost so much weight, amazing, but she won't do strength training. All she wants to do is basically calorie count how much can she lose uh how much does she consume and then how much does she work off that day but out of the fear right and so the next question would be if she is now calorie restricted wouldn't it make sense to put the most nutrient-dense foods on her plate a thousand percent versus choosing foods that may have excess calories but are not as nutrient-dense as a whole food source absolutely and that's why in everything you're saying for people to really just kind of Again, take it in and now ask yourself what's more important. Like that's what I would do. What's more important? Me being around, the longevity, being around healthy for my husband, for my family, for my business, or helping the world 0.4% and just not doing a that's flight like in a year. That's like literally negligible, Yeah, right? But that's, why, that's yeah. why it's like you're taking the blinders off for us and that's freaking powerful, homie. Yeah. It's, it's important because we have to now have more transparent conversations. Yeah. And the reality is the majority of our food supply information is pay for play. 
somebody stands to gain and the people that stand to gain are not the consumers. Mm-hmm. It feeds a sick system. And, you know, my vision, we always have to think about what is our why. My vision for the world is that we become advocates for our own health. How do we change the trajectory of how we age? Mm-hmm. How do we fight the right battle versus the commonly spoken about battle? And the right battle is fighting for muscle. It is going to make you more capable. It's going to make you more strong. It is going to increase your capacity in nearly everything that you do. It is a organ system that is living, that has been totally neglected. And as we continue to age, this fat loss fix, this thing and this thing, it is all missing the elephant in the room, which is take care of your muscle, do it the two ways, which is resistance training and dietary protein. Don't be distracted by all the other information out there, which again, if we are fighting amongst each other, then the real stories aren't told. That's amazing. So twice a day, ideally, probably more, but if people are just just starting. Twice a day. Get that, nail your first meal, protect your muscle, nail your first meal, nail your last meal. And if you're eating twice a day, hit the higher ends of protein. 50 grams. If you're older, you need more protein, not less. Mm -hmm. Your mom should be hitting 50 grams of protein at that first and last meal of the day. Stimulate her tissue, protect her muscle. That is a great place to start. The middle meal, eh, doesn't have to meet that threshold, right? Doesn't have to meet that minimum of 30 grams of dietary protein, Mm -hmm. which I often, I used to teach people about that if they are struggling with weight. What is a great way to balance blood sugar? A great way to balance blood sugar is to have uh, a one-to-one ratio of protein to carbohydrates at each meal just to start and think about. I mean, there's many ways to do it. Mm -hmm. This is just from clinical experience. There's, again, many ways to do it. But this is a easy way to do it in a way that potentially is responsible. And actually, you just mentioned it. So does the pro having making sure that you have the protein at the beginning and the end, does that also help stabilize your blood glucose levels? And also it increases satiation. There's been research that when you nail that protein, you're much less likely to go for the cupcake. Mm -hmm. You're less hungry. You have more energy. All right. So now when you've got the diet piece, um, what are other little things if people are already there, they're doing the first, you know, the breakfast and the last meal. And then if they could only choose one, what's the right order that you would suggest Mm. people do it in? Is it like if someone could say, you know what? I can either work out and then grab a to-go's McDonald's or I can not work out and sit on my ass but eat that chicken breast. Great. That is a great question. The stimulus that training will input into the body is paramount. Nothing, no pill, no diet. The training stimulus would be the top priority. Mm-hmm. Are you ready for this stat? Yes. 23% of adults are meeting their requirement for physical activity, both cardiovascular and, resi- and resistance training. Only 23%. Oh, 23%. It's no wonder that so many of us women are having health issues. But 100% of people are eating. <laughs> so that is why I focus on protein so much that's because so 100% of people have to Oh my to God, eat. that's so true. That is why... I always focus on the dietary aspect because that is the lowest hanging fruit. 
Wow. 100% of people are eating. Only 23% of adults are meeting their physical activity requirements. But we should be, if you only only choose one on whether you're exercising or eating protein, you actually suggest to exercise better. Wow. I mean, I hate to choose one. No, but... But yes, you would... I mean, you do need a certain amount of protein, but by really stimulating that tissue resistance exercise, you can get away with a little bit less. Again, there's an age component here. We've all heard of the Twinkie diet when you're in high school. You see that guy that can still put on weight, but you do need the the fundamental building blocks. Mm. However, it's the exercise, the resistance training, stimulating the tissue really pushes that physiology. Wow. Okay. So um, how do we then start to know what to do with the weight? Because I know you get this a lot. I was the person that used to say it, Gummy, but I was like, but I don't want to be really muscly, right? Thinking as if I could pick up a 10 pound weight. If only now that I want guns like yours, <laughs> I'm like lifting 17 pounds and I'm like, this is fucking hard. <laughs> so um, let's talk about the types of weights, how we do it, what types of ages are good. Mm. And then just the bunking, the fear that if someone picks up a 10 pound weight, that all of a sudden they're going to have beautiful guns like yours. Right. Well, thank you. What <laughs> uh, you guys don't know is I slipped her a five before. <laughs> no <laughs> need to, homie. Those Gonna speak for themselves. Um, <laughs> it's really important to understand that it's not the exercise that you choose, it's really the stimulus. There's lots of ways to do it right and lots of ways to do it wrong. We have to think about what is the overall goal and how are we creating stimulus. Depending on where you are, the, the current recommendations, you know, I typically recommend three days a week of resistance training. Here's the thing about exercise prescribing a diet is much easier. For you to prescribe a diet. Oh my gosh. I know how many, so I could say, Hey, Lisa, I'm going to calculate how many calories that you're going to need for X, Y, and Z. Mm -hmm. I know that you have 110 grams of protein. I know that you have 110 grams of carbs. This is what we can do. But exercise, how do I know that you're squatting right? How do I know Mm -hmm. that you're stimulating the right muscle group? How do I know that you're getting stronger? Maybe you're better at doing some kind of metabolic cardiovascular conditioning versus, I don't know, maybe your mechanics aren't great and we need to move you to a leg press or something. Mm. The listener has to understand that conceptually, exercise prescription is much more challenging. And also, really working with a professional is what I believe to be very important. Working with a professional, I believe to be very important when you think about What are the gains that you're looking to make? Mm. Exercise, resistance trained three days a week, but depending on your program could easily be four days a week. It's the effort that is impactful. Now, could you get stimulus and put on muscle with five to 10 pounds? You could, but you're going to have to do a lot more reps. Maybe you're going to have to do 40 reps. You're going to have to, you know, go closer to fatigue. Mm. Or could you potentially lift heavier and do less reps and still get the same stimulus. Yes. So there's a continuum. And there's something also that you call personal induced adaptation. Hmm. So talk to me about that because it's, I think it fits in with what you're saying, where it's like, if you're the person that can already run a mile, your goal isn't to get up off the couch. But if you're the person that never gets up the, off the couch, your personal induced adaptation is going from seated to standing. Yes. And this is what you're referencing. Again, I'm a trained geriatrician, which means for people that don't know, a geriatrician is someone who specializes in individuals over the age of 65. 
I did a fellowship in this. And when we were looking at physical activity, it's a very different ball game. Mm -hmm. And for them, from going from sitting to standing or doing timed walking was a stressor. Mm -hmm. And it's really understanding what is your current threshold, how much activity are you doing, and pushing yourself. And that could be different for everybody. The traditional ways people think about exercise have always been cardiovascular activity. Mm -hmm. I'm not sure that that's so effective from a time standpoint. It's also not necessarily as effective when you're thinking about how do you focus on maintaining hypertrophy and strength through muscle. You're mm -hmm. thinking about lifting weights. Okay. So now in actually identifying that, do you think that if people are, so they're listening now, where do I start? Is it kind of writing down your starting point? So if you are the person that can either, um, you know, like I said, do five squats, now try and do 10. Like what's the actual yeah. mechanism on how we now get started? The, the, the mechanism to get started would be to number one, identify your goal. I, I personally believe that everyone's goal should be muscle health. What does that look like? I do believe in strength, building strength, as well as hypertrophy. Oftentimes, again, there is a continuum. Strength is how much can you lift? Hypertrophy is you're really focusing on growing more muscle, mm. growing bigger muscles. I think both are important for health and aging because it becomes more difficult to put on muscle mass as you age. And again, muscle mass is a, a kind of body armor that we really need to build and maintain. Mm. It's much easier to maintain than it is to build as you age. It can totally be done. But again, it's whether that's lifestyle, hormonal status, whatever it is. So figuring out what your goal is, implementing three to four days a week of resistance training, figuring you're going to hit at least twice a, twice a week full body. For how long roughly if people start? I mean... Like, what's the goal? Is it get your heart rate up and down? Get your heart rate up and down. Because you can do that if it's, yeah. let's say, 15 minutes or an hour. So if people are trying to think about it and they don't have you as a homie to reach yeah, out to. Well, I would say definitely look at online programming. Okay. You start with 30 to 45 minutes. Again, it's how many, what is the volume that you're mm -hmm. doing? Volume is going to be the biggest determinant. And that is going to depend on weight, how much weight you're moving. Figure the slow, the lower the amount of weight, the more volume you're going to be moving, the more rep, the more sets and reps mm -hmm. you're going to do. Mm -hmm. The heavier the weight, the less volume you'll do, the less volume you should be able to do, and the less sets and reps. Okay, I love that. And then as I'm thinking through, what are all the things that people are thinking right now? Like, I really want to make sure that I They're ask probably you. overwhelmed, like, oh my gosh, now I need to start thinking about all these things. So they should start small. They yeah. should do some kind of resistance training and that can be if they're not comfortable with free, free weights, they can do bands. It's how do we begin to scale and build? I do think, you know, I, I was talking to the one of the my book agent yesterday and we were talking about in my book, I have a training program and we're really going back and forth because the editor was saying, listen, this is going to be really intimidating for people and mm -hmm. people want to. Can we do body weight? Can we do all that stuff? And I said, listen, it's kind of like social anxiety. If you have social anxiety and you never practice getting better at it, you will never get better at it. The chances of you getting better at it are zero. If you are uncomfortable lifting weights, the chances of you getting better at it without lifting weights and feeling more comfortable doing it is going to be zero. Mm -hmm. So for the listener who is thinking, oh my gosh, I feel so intimidated, 
You have to set that aside because it's going to paralyze an individual and you must learn to become comfortable because our bodies were designed to lift. Mm-hmm. And it hasn't been spoken enough, especially in, for women. For women. And that's why I'm so in love with what you do in yeah. your work because you really do focus on that. You show up to kind of, you know, like basically live how your advice and having been there and seen the end result oh, of the impact of what it happens if people don't actually do with what you're saying now. I can only imagine my grandmother suffered from Alzheimer's. And let me tell you, it is not fun when you see someone that you love that used to be like one of the most badass women in my life growing up and she's spitting on the floor and she forgets who you are and she's got dementia. Like that's fucking heartbreaking. And that's why I do what I do, especially in this health space, because I do not want to be there. I do not want my husband to see me like that. I do not want the people I love to witness me like that. And so it is my responsibility to fix and do and show up today. And even with what we were talking about, where it's like, look, some people can get overwhelmed. There's a lot of information. I love how gentle you are in taking people through it. But then also um, like addressing the, this is the reality of what humans are like. And so everything you're saying were amazing. I'm guessing people won't take all of your advice. And so I go like, I wish they would. And here's the episode for everyone to take it. But if you can't take all of this, it feels overwhelming. You've done a beautiful job of bringing people into the, the, the starting game. And then they can do it like you even said, building the house, like the, the bricks. And then one little thing that I did that recently, based on everything that you're saying, um, I was having, I was eating more, um, complex foods over Christmas with sugar and stuff like that. And I've just got gut issues. So for anyone with gut issues to know the things that you're saying also helped because I started to, when I was having gut issues, I would eat food. It would bother me. I started just doing squats when I was brushing my teeth at night. And I just made it a rule. When you brush your teeth in the morning, when you brush your teeth at night, Lisa, you're going to do squats until your toothbrush runs out. It's an electric Mm -hmm. toothbrush. So it turns out I was doing like 110 squats in the morning and 110 squats at night. That's amazing. And it became a game that I tied to my toothbrush. And so it wasn't overwhelming. It didn't feel like I was carving out this special time. I wasn't paying attention to my family. I didn't feel like I was necessarily restricting my diet or like not eating the fun foods that my family were. But I had this one little thing where I was like, you just going to promise yourself squats in the morning when you brush your teeth and squats in the evening. And it really helped me digest my food. I think that that is great. You're also, it also probably lowered your blood sugar. So that's what I was going to ask you. Yeah, like, I, would, I couldn't understand why. Yeah. So is that what it was yes. doing? Your muscle is the disposal unit. You're leveraging your muscle to ultimately move that sugar out of the bloodstream and into your muscle. It's, that's amazing. And that's a very good strategy. And for people at home, if you know there's a blood glucose monitor, people are really into mm. that, they should do that experiment. Mm. They should put it on. They should try eating and they should do nothing. And then they should look at it and do something and you'll see that it's a way in which you can regulate your blood sugar. Yeah. Absolutely. It, it's leveraging muscle as medicine. All right. So what else? So I love everything we've broken down. So you've given the tools for the diet and then for the exercise. Um, what is the thing that you think though, that people are really freaking missing that if you had to like freaking shake someone away, cause you're like, you have no idea how powerful this freaking thing is. It's probably, you're going to say build muscle, but like, yeah. Um, 
So we talked about resistance exercise. Number one, we talked about dietary protein. We talked about how we're going to hit that first and last meal of the day. We talked about some of the roadblocks that a person may hear about from a narrative that is not accurate. Then we talked about resistance exercise as the third thing that we discussed, three days a week, really putting some time and effort, focus, don't be on your phone, really be in there putting the the meaningful effort. The third thing I would say is throwing in some type of interval training. I am talking about closer to max interval training, whether it's a max out sprint on a bike, you don't have to run. It could be a four minutes, you know, you're doing work for a total of four minutes. Maybe you're doing a max out 10 to 30 per, 30 second sprint, resting, fully recovering and doing that again, just for a short period of time. That has the potential to move the needle for people metabolically. It improves some of the things that we talked about, like insulin resistance. Mm. It imp- can pr- improve insulin sensitivity. And insulin mm. is that hormone uh, produced by the pancreas, which we all hear, which is responsible for moving blood sugar or bl- blood glucose from the um, blood to tissues. Mm. And that's really important. Also can impact brain function. Yeah, so tell me about that, actually, because that's one thing we haven't touched on, on um the brain function, the hormones, and then how you feel. Yeah, the endorphins. Mm. It's interesting. Um, some of the research has been disappointing. Some has been great when it, when we think about resistance and also cardiovascular activity. It just depends on what you're looking at. But we can definitely agree that the more training that an individual can stick to, mm-hmm. the cardiovascular and resistance exercise, it definitely can improve mood. It can improve mood uh, contracting skeletal muscle releases something called BDNF, which is brain-derived neurotropic factor. Ooh. So again, skeletal muscle is an organ system, and that can go and it you know interfaces with many organs in the body, also interfaces with the brain. That's important. And then, of course, these endorphins, these highs. But there's all kinds of things that happen when you exercise. Skeletal muscle releases myokines, proteins from the muscle. Mm-hmm. Uh, again, as a hormone system, which can modulate immune function. People are worried about their immune system, brain function, all of these things. And so that's one, you know, very high level concept of how we would think about it. Because people are talking about the brain, you know, body connection and things like that. And I think that's becoming way more common. Mm-hmm. But I've never thought about it from the the muscle mm-hmm. brain connection. Yeah. And that's actually twofold. The focused attention the brain muscle connection of actually contracting a muscle, Mm. there's that. Mm. And then there's also what happens when you contract the muscle. What is the muscle releasing that is going systemically throughout the body? And these are called myokines. There's many different kinds of myokines and they travel to the liver and all other Mm. places and they interface with other cells of the immune system and other cytokines, inflammatory markers of the immune system and also interface in the brain. And muscle is medicine. It's a non-negotiable and we live in a world where it's now we have an opportunity to do less. Being sedentary and not moving is what I believe to be a sick state. There's no such thing as a healthy sedentary person. Wow. But we hear healthy sedentary all the time. That does not exist. Mm. The body was not designed to be sedentary. 
And yet we've created a culture where we definitely are. Right. Yeah, I heard that you take your kids and you like play like in the on the swings and stuff Heck like yeah. that to make sure that they're getting in the exercise. Oh, oh the kids? Yeah. Yes. Yes. Because when you are younger, this is the time where you're really priming the body to develop that lean tissue. Mm. Yes. I, my kids are very active. That's so smart. I love that. And then going back to actually the obesity, I think you said um, somewhere that obesity, um, is it the number one leading cause for cancer? Obesity is definitely one of the leading causes of cancer and death. This is a tricky one. Oh, God. It's very tricky. And actually, cancer is very complex mm, depending on the kind of cancer, but obesity is a known risk factor. So um, I just heard a study, something like the 20, uh, 2025 US Dietary Guidelines. Oh, I don't gosh. know if you heard this, basically said that the number one cause of obesity is genetics. Yeah. Well, I think that's ridiculous. This is the US fucking government said but that who- shit. Who funds the dietary guidelines? Major food companies, big pharma. I, uh, obesity is very complex. There are deep problems with the guidelines that were given. Mm-hmm. This is why everybody is still confused. Right. And so do you think even something like that where people are saying like, well, it's genetics, so there's nothing I can do about it. Like It's very almost disempowering. Dis- it's, it's so disempowering. Very disempowering. Yeah. Oh, now look, if it's true, I want to know. Like if it's, but if they're saying, I think it's something like from 50, some, it was like 50 to 80% of it is I, Nobody believes that. No. Like what does that even mean? Yeah, that's insane. It's a very disempowering. Again, the next question would be who stands to benefit mm-hmm. from these recommendations and what is being said. So what about then, because let's just go with a couple of the other bullshit things that I've heard then. Um, <laughs> let's just, just go, keep right? going. Let's yeah. just keep going, yeah. yeah um, so what about then leanness? Because I actually went into, um, my audience knows I've been really struggling with health issues for like, as you know, for like six to seven years. I go to um, a lot of doctors now because I'm really taking my health and making Amazing. it like my highest priority. So I'm getting all my blood done. I'm getting all my hormones checked. I'm getting my gut, done, like everything. Yeah. And the doctor walks in. So actually a couple of years ago, I had my hormones checked. She comes in and she's like, oh, it looks like um, you've got PCOS. And I was like, oh my God, I had no idea. And then she looks down the list and she goes, Oh, but you don't want kids. I was like, no. And she goes, oh, well, you're fine then. And I was so it's okay that I've got PCOS? Like, what the hell? And then this time I went to a different gynecologist, like two weeks ago, girl. Mm-hmm. And I walked in and she was like, well, yeah, you're too lean, so you're never going to get your period back. And so I'm like, are these just, is that actually true? Is it a blanket statement? Do I just, because going back to what other people may hear, because I live my life in this space, I question everything. Good. But someone else that may not know or to question, they're going to go in and go, oh, so I guess I just got to put on weight. And now this is the person that isn't doing what you just, this whole hour right. that you've just said, this is what you need to do. They're not doing it. Right. Because their doctor said, oh, but you just lean. You just need to put on weight. Even to the point where Thomas' cousin had leukemia, he couldn't keep weight on because of his leukemia and they told him to go to mcdonald's the doctors told him to go to mcdonald's and get big macs and milkshakes so he can put on as much weight as possible to get Mm. healthy very tricky very tricky well number one i'm sorry you had that experience no provider should dismiss anything Mm. like that's that's pretty ridiculous 
So I'm assuming you switched doctors. <laughs> yeah, I mean, this, yeah. this literally just yeah, recently yeah. happened. But here's the truth. If that's actually true, like when I go, well, hang on a minute, why would it be beneficial for women to have more fat on them? And then I think about giving birth. and that For I sure. Just, Fertility can be affected yeah. if you are too lean. There's also female athlete triad. There's all... Oh, what's that? So it's, a, it's oftentimes when women become amenorrheic, not getting their period, right? They're too lean. They're exercising mm. too much. Those kinds of things. Um, however, when you think about the majority of women, the majority of women are not suffering from being too lean. We already know that 73% of adults are either overweight or obese. Can um, being overweight contribute to PCOS? Yes. This underweight, can being underweight affect hormones and the ability to become fertile, all of those things? Yes. So there's broad um, concepts of what would be considered unhealthy for a person, a percent body fat, whether it's 30%. Mm-hmm. Also, how lean can someone be? Could someone function at 12% and be totally healthy? Absolutely. Me, genetically, I tend to be a leaner person. So for me, right. So for, and you and I are actually of similar build and height, by the way. I know. (laughs) So, So, um, for us, it's within the realm of we would naturally be leaner individuals. Mm -hmm. Would that be healthier for us to put on weight? I'm not sure because this is, how we are. And the way to tell would be, would we put on weight and get our periods maybe, or is it going to affect our blood sugar or affect our triglycerides or affect some other way? Because this is how we are built. Yeah. I think that they're all very important questions. Also, medicine should be personalized. Understanding how lean someone should be. Again, there's seasons and cycles. And that's why, thank you for saying that. And that's why I was then going to go to like the, the trouble with us weighing ourselves because we don't necessarily take into account the muscle element. And so for me to step on a scale, um, will be very different than let's say a, you know, five foot nine woman to step on a scale. And then also if you work out or if you don't work out. And I think that the, the scale thing trips people mm. up because obviously muscle weighs. Well, it can be very triggering for people. Mm. I do think it's important to do a DEXA, some kind of body composition, just to figure out where you are and where you want to go. And that can be important. But again, if someone is going to be triggered by a scale, then you have to be very sensitive to that for sure. All right, girl, I could talk to you forever. I know, well, <laughs> like, here we go. I know, where can people find you, everything you're doing, yeah. and then just like all the new work you're Oh, you know, yeah, yeah, on. yeah, for sure. They can find me on my website, drgabriellelion.com. They can, let's see, find me on Instagram, very active. YouTube, you yeah. and I were talking about YouTube, also very active on YouTube. Let's see what else. Oh, my podcast, which next time when my book is out Help. in October... I'll do your podcast and you got to come on mine. Oh, I'd love to go. And that's the Dr. Gabrielle Lyon show. And the goal of that podcast is have to have transparent conversations, mm. like the, the conversation that we're hearing and having today to really be able to benefit the listener on how they can understand and navigate this crazy world that we live in.